Hi everyone, welcome to this week's chapter by chapter recap. Obviously this week is not going to look quite the same. It's not going to be quite the same. I am not in the studio and Matt left out with me because he doesn't have a voice right now. Um, two of our three kids are sick right now and we're just really trying to recover from that. So what Matlock is currently doing is he's downstairs editing on his computer the chapter by chapter recaps from last year to get the correct readings so that, you know, you don't get left behind. We don't get fallen behind in our reading. We need to still, you know, get caught up. So that's what we're doing hopefully next week will be better and back to our regularly scheduled programming with us in the studio. But until then, please enjoy this recap. And um, of course, if you have any questions, if you have any comments, pop them down in the comment section below. Matlock and I love reading them and one of us or both of us will get back to you as soon as we can on that. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 3 carries on this thought. The Gentiles are now heirs together with Israel of God's kingdom. And again, this is through Christ. Believers are one body. It's not Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. It's just Christians. And neither one is better than the other. Uh, Paul then records uh, what he's praying for the Ephesian Christians, which is interesting. Okay, Ephesians chapter four, I wanna read you verses one to three here. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Ah, oh, he's always gotta bust out these really hard things to do after saying nice things. like how we're equal and it's Christ's righteousness, then there's stuff that we still got to do not to attain salvation, but just to be honest Christ followers. A goal of our lives as Christ followers is to become mature in Christ and united. Uh, and Paul contrasts this maturity and this unity with immaturity being Tossed, immaturity is talked about as being tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and blown there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. So if you're not mature in Christ, you're going to fall for the false teachers who are taking the truth, slightly modifying it, and then you're, get, you're getting led down a path that's taking you away from the true gospel. So it's a dangerous thing to stay immature in your Christianity. Uh, Paul then gives instructions for Christian living. Uh, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. So he distinguishes Christian Gentiles from regular Gentiles, right? You used to just live like the Gentiles, but now you are called to a different lifestyle. You don't have to follow the Mosaic law, but you're still called to a different set of morality here. You're called to God's morality. So you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. This is hard for us because there are so many intelligent people in the non-Christian community. Uh, and and non-Christians can be incredibly moral beings, especially according to this world, right? But Nevertheless, they don't have the understanding of God. Their understanding is darkened, right? And their consciences are hardened. So we 
are required to live by God's standards, not by man's standards, even when man's standards, man's standards attain a high level of morality. Okay, uh, what follows in Ephesians is highlighted or underlined, I think, in every Bible that I have ever owned in my life from childhood until now. There is a practical list uh, of ways to follow Christ. Uh, see, I'll prove it, right? Right there. And it goes, it goes on to there. I would highly recommend that you read it. Uh, it's highlighted because I definitely do not attain it. And so I highlight it because I read it often. Uh, you know, it says so many things. The one thing that gets me really bad and really good at the same time is verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Hmm. That, that is so hard to attain. Um, there's just some really good, really good stuff in there that I would, if you haven't had a chance to read Ephesians 4 this week, this is the section that I would highly recommend that you read. It is humbling. It's something that I think we should take time and meditate on and pray over because if we all lived like this, the world would be an insanely different place, let alone the church. You know, the church would be so different. The world would be so different. Ugh, it's amazing. Ephesians chapter 5. So it this chapter really talks about what the life of a Christian looks like or what it should look like. And I want to read to you verses three to seven. It says this, but among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. So really serious words here from the Apostle Paul to the Christians living in the city of Ephesus. And I wanted to go back and just look at something that he says in there that's really interesting. He says, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So why is an immoral person... Uh, compared to an idolater or not even just compared they say if you're immoral you are you are an idolater uh, this is because the person who is immoral has put themselves or someone else or something else like the world in the place of god so god alone decides what is right and wrong so if you're immoral You've rejected God as the decider of morality, of what's right or wrong. Uh, and you've replaced God with something or someone else, often yourself, right? You're deciding what your own morality is. Well, God may say that's wrong, but I say it's right. That means you're putting yourself 
in the place of God, you are an idolater. You're worshiping yourself. You're obeying yourself, not God. And you can off put this to anyone that you want. You can say, well, my culture says that it's right or the law says that it's legal. But at the end of the day, if you're putting anything in the place of deciding what's right and wrong other than God, you're guilty of idolatry. All right. Uh, Paul then goes on to say this. Be very careful then how you live. No kidding, right? Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Uh, Paul then goes on to give advice for marriages. Wives, submit to your husbands, meaning respect your husbands. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. So we have this reciprocal kind of love and respect because the husband is thinking uh, is thinking what is it that my wife needs what can i do to make her life better and more godly um what does she need to survive i need to do that right love your wife as christ loved the church and gave himself for her was willing to die for the church so that we can be reconciled to the father. So that is the kind of self-sacrificial love that husbands are commanded to have for their wives. And then wives likewise are to receive that love and therefore respect their husbands for it. So there's this, there's this active love as opposed to an emotional love. Like it's always nice to have, you know, heart, eyes, ooey gooey for your spouse. Sure, that's a part of it, right? God made us to be emotional creatures. But at the end of the day, it has to be more than that. It has to be a commitment to uh, respect and love that is self-sacrificial on both ends of the spectrum. All right, and and the purpose of that, you know, in Paul's mind and in Paul's teaching here in Ephesians 5 is to be a witness to the outside world of God's nature, okay? Making the most of the time, being a good witness to the culture around us. If we are well-functioning human beings, people are going to want to know how we are well-functioning human beings, right? We need to be as Christians. We are commanded to be well-functioning. And so that is part of the process that we're all on with God. He is making us well-functioning human beings. Okay, Ephesians chapter six, this moves, it's continuing on in the family structure and in the social structure, talking about how to be well-functioning in this context. So he talks about children, obey your parents in the Lord, uh, for this is right. He talks about fathers who were the um, givers of discipline in that time period. Don't exasperate your children, but instead bring them up in the Lord. So pay attention. This goes for moms and dads, especially in our culture today, pay attention to how you're treating your children. Are you modeling Christ following for them? Or are you negatively impacting your children by not only your attitude and your lifestyle, but also your discipline style? Are you providing for them a good example of how God functions, of how authority works? So this is what we are to do to the world. We are ambassadors of Christ. If we can't even be ambassadors of Christ to our children and to our spouses, how in the world are we supposed to do that to everyone on the outside of our, you know, intimate family structures? Okay, Ephesians 6 moves famously onto the armor of God, uh, which is truth, 
righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation, the word of God, and an honorable mention, Paul adds on prayer. Prayer in every occasion, on every occasion, and all kinds of prayers and requests be made known to God. Okay, that's the end of Ephesians. So we're moving on now to Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. This is a letter of Paul. It is a letter, it's called a prison letter of Paul. So he wrote this while he was in prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, but he's not upset that he's in prison for preaching the gospel. Uh, verses 12 to 14 of Philippians 1 says this. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Without fear. So Paul is seeing this not comfortable not great situation that he is in as advancing the gospel. He's seeing it as in the broader plan of God for his life. That is something that is not easy to do and is very countercultural today. We need to see our issues as opportunities and as in the overall plan of God for our lives, which is can be a very difficult thing. Paul does speak about the difficult things that are going on in his life, like other Christian teachers trying to stir up trouble for him. So there's Christians aren't always working together. I mean, we we often have this idealized picture of the early church, like, oh, so much closer to the teachings of Christ and the apostles, which is true, but they were still humans just like us and had issues. Paul also has a struggle dealing with the difficulties of life when he knows that if he dies, if he's sentenced to death and he just goes to be with Christ and be with God, things would be much easier. So he does, he's a human. He's struggling with issues as well. Uh, in verse 27, he does say this, and I thought, I thought this is really important. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We as Christians are are not promised prosperity. Uh, and, and, you know, suffering is also not guaranteed depending on when and where you're born in the world. Uh, at least certain levels of suffering. Imprisonment certainly is not. But Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That needs to be our top priority. Okay, Philippians 2, verse 2 to 8 says this. Be like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul's point here is that if Christ lived his life for others, Guess what you and I have to do? 
That's right. We have to live our lives for others, right? And no, it's not always fair. And yes, sometimes our right as human beings or uh, we'll, we'll be violated or, you know, we will be offended, but we need to take that offense sometimes. We have to live for other people, for what's best for other people. Uh, you know, this whole, but that's not fair. That's not a fair way to live. It's almost as if Paul had to deal with that reaction from people. I'm sure he probably did. Because then he says this, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Okay, I have a long way to go. That's what this verse tells me. Do everything without grumbling, without arguing. You know, none of us are going to be perfect. We don't have to be doormats all the time. But what we do have to do is shift our attitude to be like that of Christ because we're Christ followers. We have to think of other people's needs above our own needs because that's what Christ did. He came to serve Philippians chapter 3, again, Paul deals with the circumcision party uh, who believed that Christians had to be Jewish first before they became Christian. So by the men becoming circumcised and the whole family following the law of Moses as expressed in the Old Testament of the Bible. But this wasn't true. Uh, Paul talks about how we need to take no confidence in our flesh, in our works, that works good works, moral works, they come out of being saved already. So we have salvation through faith in Christ first, and then we press on to be more like God with our God, good works. So our good works, they're, they're not earning our way into heaven whatsoever. We're not following the law to become righteous human beings. That's just not how it works. And we've talked about that a lot over the last couple of weeks. So I'm just going to move on here. Philippians chapter four, this is goodbyes because it's the last chapter of Philippians. And uh, Paul says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Remember he's writing from prison. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. So cultivating this attitude of no matter what you're going through, if you're in good times or if you're in horrible times, rejoice in the Lord for his work in your life, for his salvation, for our future hope. Um, pray to him, right? And, and make it a discipline to think about the good things of God rather than kind of fester and dwell on the negative in your life. All right, Colossians, Colossians chapter one. So Paul and Timothy write the book of Colossians to Christians living in Colossae, which is a city in the Roman Empire. This is another prison letter. Paul's in prison at the time. 
And the premise of this letter is that there's some sort of philosophy that seems to be shaking up the Colossian Christian's understanding of Jesus's supremacy. So his ability to completely save people, to completely pay for our sin. And the Colossians seem to be starting to rely on things like mystical experiences of angels and dreams uh, and visions and outward physical expressions of religions like rituals or wearing certain clothes, for example. So we see Paul deal with these things in the book of Colossians. Okay, Colossians chapter 1 has greetings and prayers for the Colossians, and then he jumps right into talking about Jesus Christ's supremacy. So uh, Christ's role as the image of the invisible God firstborn over all creation. Uh, He says that in Jesus, all things were created and Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He alone reconciles us to God. It's a really interesting chapter, a kind of rant about Jesus that Paul goes on. Uh, Colossians chapter two, I wanted to read to you verses six to nine because I think it's interesting. So then, Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. So make sure that your your religion, your relationship with God, your hope for eternal life is founded exclusively on the work of Jesus Christ and trust in Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul mentions that these philosophies that are being given to the Colossians are hollow. In other words, they look really good and really substantial on the outside. But it's a trick because on the inside, there's nothing there. It's empty. It's like those chocolates that my parents used to get me for Easter that looked like like really big Easter eggs. But then you take one bite out of it and it's just a chocolate shell. And on the inside, there's nothing there, right? That is hollow. That is those hollow philosophies. So Paul goes on to talk about how God has redeemed us through Christ. Therefore, don't fall for the ideas that we have to follow things like food laws. We don't have to be kosher to be Christian. We don't have to observe special holidays or special Sabbath days. These, all of those things, they were shadows. They were foreshadows of the reality that was to come of Jesus Christ. We have the real thing. We have salvation through Jesus Christ. So why would we then go back to what is not real, to what was just a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ? Uh, Paul also says, don't let anyone who delights in false humility, so in those rituals, in those outward physical displays of religion, don't let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. So later on, Paul says, such regulations, such religious rules, they have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. There's no 
actual change internally that comes with just physical outward symbols of faith. Only God can help us with the real problem that Christ identified. It's not what you, it's not what goes into your body that makes a difference. It's not what you do out here. It's what comes out of your mouth that makes you impure because that's a reflection of what's in your heart, of what's in your soul. God deals with our soul and the rest follows. Colossians chapter 3, Paul talks about putting to death your old way of living. uh, And he gives this list of sin that you're supposed to put to death. And then he says, clothe yourselves, put on instead compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He goes on to kind of parse these things out to explain them, to give some specific specific examples of what that means in life, like forgiving each other as God forgives us. Forgiveness in the Christian life is not a suggestion. It is mandatory. We must find ways to forgive other people. God will help us, but it is a discipline and we do have to do it. He then goes on in Colossians 3 to give us the same family advice that he gave in Ephesians 6, uh, submit, love, obey, all of those things. Bottom line of, of Colossians chapter 3, life isn't about us anymore. We have a mission. You, if you are a Christian, you have a mission to represent God to the world. And the amazing thing is, That as we no longer live for ourselves, as we live for God, and as we live for other people, we become happier. We become more content, more joyful, more fulfilled because we are restoring our relationship with God. Colossians chapter four, final instructions for the Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer, Uh, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversations be always full of grace. There's final goodbyes and then greetings from other Christians that are kind of tucked into this chapter. Okay, our last book of the day, First Thessalonians. Uh, Chapter one, we have Paul, Silas, and Timothy are identified as writing this letter to the Christians who are living in the city of Thessalonica. Timothy has brought news to Paul, and he wants to address four issues. And we're going to learn about these issues as we read, but I'll outline them here just so you know going in. Non-Christians seem to have been accusing Paul, Timothy, and Silas of having selfish motives in preaching the gospel. Christians were facing persecution in Thessalonica. There are instructions for how to live a godly life. And then Paul gives them comfort with talking about how Christ is going to return to earth one day. Okay, so chapter one is just the hello. Uh, hello, Thess- Thessalonians. And he and how he gives thanks, what he is specifically thankful for about about the Thessalonian Christians. Chapter two, this is a defense of Paul, Silas, and Timothy's work in Thessalonica when they were physically there. So basically Paul goes, I know what they're saying about us, but remember how it actually was when we were with you. It wasn't like what they're claiming at all. And he goes into the specifics in chapter two. First Thessalonians chapter three, this is all about what I talked about in chapter one. So how Timothy has just returned to Paul and Silas from Thessalonica and given them a report and how they're really happy for that report and they really want to visit Thessalonica again soon. 
Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.